Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we will be talking about defining, tracking, monitoring, and improving performance in a translation company. We all do this as we constantly try to grow and do better in how we perform our work, but in majority of organizations, this is not a formal or well-defined initiative. To talk to us about this subject, I have once again invited Richard Brooks, or as they call him, Professor Brooks, who is an expert in this area and management in general. Richard is the Chief Executive Officer of K-International, a UK-based full-service translation company and has been involved in the translation business for three decades. He also provides consulting services and invests in other businesses in his spare time. Richard is very active in the translation and localization community, currently serving as Executive Board Member and Treasurer for European Language Industry Association, or ELEA, and has served as past director and treasurer at the Association of Language Companies and many other industry and academic bodies. Welcome back to the Translation Company Talk, Richard. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Good to have you again on the podcast. Uh, For people listening to you for the first time and who haven't heard your interview from the last time, can you give them a little bit of background about yourself? About me? Gosh, okay. Me, in a nutshell, my name's Richard Brooks. I'm uh, the chief exec of a company in the UK called K International. We're a LSP. I'm a graduate of Cranfield University in the UK, where I did my my master's there in management. Uh, Since then, which was probably 15, maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago, I've studied studied management as, as best I can and been an evangelist for things like uh, management and strategy and corporate finance and sales management and marketing, things like that, all the, uh, all the good stuff. Um, I'm also, I'm on various boards. I'm on the board for the Institute of Sales Professionals in the UK. I'm on a board at Cranfield University, not the board, but an, an advisory board there. I also run my own consultancy now, so I run a, a consultancy. If you go to richard-brooks.com, you can you can book time with me or read some of my blog posts or whatever you like, where we we help to consult various companies in and out of our industry or the various uh, various sorts of clients. Talk about corporate strategy and uh, finance and sales and marketing, probably the the things I'm known for. And I'm an in, I'm an active investor in a few other ventures outside the industry as well, which keeps me busy. Very exciting. Thanks for that introduction. Uh, Richard, what keeps you busy these days? I know you're a very busy man, so and you've got a lot of things on the go. Tell us a little bit about that. What keeps me busy? My kids. I've got two two boys, Aiden <laughs> and Jack, six, six and 11. Obviously, they're, they're crazy. They're hilarious. Uh, apart from that, uh, work-wise, we're running, running the LSP. Uh, that's, I'm very fortunate that's in a place now where it wouldn't say it runs itself, but it almost runs itself. You know, we've we've got the process sorted. We've got a very good management team. Very lucky, and that that frees me up to do other things. So the the other things are consultancy, investing, getting involved with business school, that that sort of thing. Which uh, some weeks can be incredibly busy. And just just as we were saying, you, you've you've got to be careful with your time. 
we only right. get a certain amount you know we only get a certain amount of days don't we so um you've, you've got to be careful you've got to spread it out with your family and your work as well and uh, i'm guessing you haven't found a way to stretch the 24 hours to 28 or something i'm still i'm still looking i'm still <laughs> looking. The, the only the only good thing uh, as i've got older i guess i'm nearly 50 now so on the last the last half of my career i suppose as i've got older I've, i wake up really early now in the morning t- talking to friends of the same age they, right. they kind of say, I, I don't know why, but six, six o'clock each morning, I'm awake. Whereas when I was 25, it was it was a challenge to get out of bed some mornings. You know, I was just I could I could sleep for England. But now I seem to have more time at the start of the day, which is good. I think my brain's more switched on at the start of the day as well. So if I have a right. paper to write or to, to read or, you know, some something uh, cerebral to do, should we say, I'll try and do it before before everybody else is up. I can I can sit here at half five six o'clock and get working quite you know quite quickly well of, of course that helps a lot early in the day if you you know get things going you yeah, you, you can yeah. concentrate better but let's let's talk about uh, the industry today uh, before we jump into your topic how do you find the state of things in the light of um, the economics and, and social political situations happening around us uh, how do how would you define the translation localization industry richard Man, we've we've been saying for years it's going to consolidate one day. I can remember saying it sort of 20 years ago. It's ripe for consolidation. Yeah, you know, maybe. So we'd say in five years' time it's going to be different, and now it's happening. So we're seeing a lot of a lot of VC, a lot, a lot of venture capital money, a lot of money flowing into the industries, given a lot of people a, a lot of money to spend, and finally they can do the projects that they want to. I think margins are still very attractive in the industry, which obviously attracts external. Um, investors god forbid should we have a slowdown in the world economy which we're kind of starting to see obviously much right. like in canada but you know the price of everything has gone up in the uk a pint of beer is now six pound fifty which is wow. an absolute daylight robbery but the, yeah so the price of everything is lifted 150 dollars fill your car up you know electricity bills are through the roof etc etc but the margins seem good in our industry we seem you know obviously exceptions to the rule but people seem busy with there's work still happening there's there's things still going on there's money flowing in so yeah i never want to use the word recession proof but as an industry we've grown since well since the year dot really haven't we we've been continuously <laughs> growing we sort of thought thought we plateaued at the great financial crisis but that, that just lasted a couple of months then we then we then we started to grow again it's um yeah you, you look at the revenues and profits certainly of the larger companies as they've got larger and larger and larger and can demand more more economies of scale and scope and things like that then yeah it's it's a healthy place to be i think and it's obviously been helped you know covid has sped up the um the work from home the get a get a one gigabit internet connection into your garage and then you can work from home absolutely what what, what we've all done right so uh, that's sped up which means your your teams can be anywhere in the world so you can put your teams if it's better to put a project management team in one particular region or time zone, then that that's relatively straightforward and that's sped up. So what, what the pandemic has done is sped up that process or rather help people to do that. And obviously things like OPI and VRI, you know, those sort of um, solutions which are de- delivered via the internet, that's that's got rid of a lot of the older uh, ways of doing things. So it's it's I, I guess it's improved. So I think margins have improved. With the work, the uh, aggregate, work seems to have gone up i mean i'm you know i'm painting a broad brush now and um, right. people seem to be doing well what's what's nice now is people are starting to go back to conferences so 
we just had uh, we just had Elias conference, um, which was probably three months ago. So that, 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 that was that was this year, so at the start of summer twenty two, and it was nice. It's lovely to see people again in Why real lovely. life. You know, <laughs> I, ca- I can't wait to see you for a bit. So obviously, we, we've got Vegas coming up. Um, for the for the yeah, ALC, yeah. that's that's yeah. coming up soon. So you know that's I booked it this morning actually. So that's all. Everybody's getting excited about that, and it's that. Yeah, we love we love doing a bit of uh, a bit of work from home, but it's great to actually get get face to face, get some FaceTime with people again. So we'll see well, that. Well, thanks the, for the, sharing the only, that perspective. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, all right. The, the only limiting factor is cost with that, isn't it? Because obviously the, the cost of flights is, is right. ridiculous now, and obviously hotels will go up and so on and so on, but. Um, hopefully the money's yeah, well, in the industry to power it all you know absolutely <laughs> richard that's a relief probably for a lot of folks in our industry if especially if it's coming from you because people are a little bit uh, freaking out right now they're panicking as to what's happening because these are unprecedented uncharted waters uh, you know we haven't dealt with these type of uh, environmental factors before yeah. So um, uh, that kind of, I want to segue into our topic of our conversation today, which is to improve performance, obviously, to, to do things better than before so you can continue to be successful and thrive. And uh, for that, I wanted to bring you here so we can discuss what performance improvement for the LSP community or language services provider community looks like. Um, as an expert in management, can you please share what does performance improvement actually mean for a translation company or a language company? Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I have a bit of beer, my, a, a slight beer in my bonnet about this, I think, because if you're going to improve a business, there's, there's different ways to do it. You can obviously, you can cut it so you can get you can get your red pen out and you can you can go through the P&L and you can cut out as, mu- as many costs as you want. But there's only 100 cents in a dollar, there's only 100 pennies in a pound, and that's it. There's, there's no more. So it's it's almost a finite amount of things that we can cut so yes we need to be lean yes we need to be efficient but we can't rely on that we also need to add values to our customers especially when we're in a global marketplace and it seems to be growing and there's more and more people in the world and more people want to buy stuff from different markets and it it carries on so i think we need to yes we need to be lean but i think at the same time if this is paradoxical but i think at the same time we need to concentrate and add value to our customers and make sure that we we are actually giving customers what they want and not just what we what we think they want i.e cheap service because there's always somebody who'll do it cheaper in the context of a language services provider let's let's say lsp means translation services yeah. because there's also interpreting service what activities and encompass uh, performance and uh, what activities can be left out of performance improvement well uh, i think so there's there's different there's different measures here. I mean, I, I think as 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 senior managers in in any business uh, any business at all, especially in LSP, we've we've got three jobs. So we have to run today's business, which is looking at the P and L, making sure there's enough money in the bank. You know, all the kind of the boring sort of thing. Predominantly, I think that will be financial sort of measures. And then we have to improve today's business. Now that's about staff morale and making sure everyone's on the right page and motivation and are we as lean and possibly you know as, as as good as we possibly can be in terms of process and then there's about preparing for tomorrow's business right. the more senior you get in an organization i would suggest that the third of these drivers becomes more important so as you get to c-suite or managing director type level you're going to be looking more at 
tomorrow more than two year plan 10 year plan in a family business you know but you're going to be looking onto the third horizon management gurus call it so you're going to be looking into the distance into the future and try and bring that back to the day you can't do that if you're focused on the PL or if you're focused on cutting costs or if you're focused on today here and now you know the, these sort of targets now so there's lots of businesses in our vertical our family businesses and multi-generation you know, we're on the third generation now aren't we like lots of companies and good Good luck to them. It's wonderful. And right. but as, as you have this long-term view of business, you know, that some people I talk to have got like a twenty-year view of, of the business. Well, if you're doing that, then you, your metrics and your guide needs to be about well, what's what's coming, what's coming in twenty years. How can we look right into the future and and prepare a business for that? It's not not an easy thing to do, but the the opposite of that almost is worrying too much about today. So I'd say if we're looking at today's, invariably everybody's got paid, so. You know, the majority of metrics will be financial. If you're improving today's business, that's about how lean we are and improving the business that we're in. And in a service business, that's going to be driven by the people. So we have to make sure that the people are engaged and motivated and, you know, switched on. Now, I'm going to name drop now, right? There's a there's a quote about metrics about um, what gets measured can get improved. Right. Kind of, you know, I've kind of changed it a little bit. It's, it's basically that. That was said by Tom Peters in the 80s. I had a conversation with Tom Peters. He's a quality TQM management type group. I had a conversation with him last week about employee engagement. So I'm totally name dropping, but I'm, you know, what? Why not? And he was telling me that only 17% of employees are actually engaged at work. So the challenge is, obviously, Tom. Tom's an old guy like me and likes to go into the office, right? But the challenge is, how do we get this hybrid? global workforce engaged in our organization and not just playing playing lip service to the to the company so we need them engaged and switched on and that's what improves today's business that's what makes it better it's more fun if we're all in the same direction if the culture's right that by nature is going to improve the business so to measure that we can look at the you know the, the softer side of things like you know if we're looking at customers we can look at a thing called net promoter score so how likely is a customer to recommend your service to but one of their you know in, in their peer group or one of their even their competitors but are, are they likely to compare you uh, to to recommend you which gives you a an idea of the the level of advocacy so that then we can sort of break that back and say what well, are we are we engaged with the customer does the customer like us are we doing the right thing for them you know that sort of thing so and that's it and then obviously um because i've sat on the boards of various organizations in our industry mm-hmm. i'd say preparing for tomorrow is as much about getting involved in the industry and going to conferences and talking to people and trying to trying to benchmark your own business against your friendly competitors and sharing knowledge and then all all, um, all growing all growing together at ilia we say get get together to grow together which will be our absolutely new, uh, our new line for that which is which is that, and then obviously, so as chief exec, they're they three jobs. <laughs> uh, you, you just mentioned that that uh, you know, if you can't measure something, you cannot improve it, and and uh, yes. you know, you you've probably heard this. You've even spoken with the person who actually um, coined this term. Uh, let's talk about how to measure performance or the most important aspects of performance in a language company or translation company. Where should an LSP start? Right. Well, that, that's. So again, there's different. I think there's different layers to this. So initially, if we're looking at today's business, we have to make a profit, right? right. As horrible as that sentence is, as uncomfortable as that is, we're in business to make a profit. That's the reason the, the company exists. Without entrepreneurs' profit, 
nothing would happen. Adam Smith said in 1600 and something, we need land, labour, machines. And a French economist came along 20 years later and said, we also need entrepreneurs' profit. Without those four things, a business just won't won't exist. So entrepreneurs' profit is as important as the land, labour and machines. You, you, could, you could take from that, which, which I totally agree with. We live in a capitalist world and, you know, it's great. So what do we measure? We need to measure all the financials. So your accountant will prepare these for you. So obviously, you know, revenue. Again, I think our, our industry is focused a bit too much on revenue because it's not it's not what you make, it's what you keep. We've got to be careful about reading reading the profit and loss account wrong. So yes, revenue is important. And, you know, we all want to get to 10 million, 100 million, whatever these targets are we set ourselves, but basically just so we can show off at a conference. I think the most important line on the PL is the third line. So revenue, cost of sales, what did it cost you to deliver that service? Then the third line, gross profit. So I always talk to my senior managers about the third line. That's that's our top line. Always has been in all, all of my businesses because I'm not that bothered about what it costs to do something. You know, if we sold something, how much money are we going to keep? So if we've done a million pound deal with somebody, right, well, first thing i'll say what's the, what's the contribution right you know so we'll, we'll we'll look at that straight away straight off the bat so not not so i'm not bothered about revenue but i'm more interested in how much money we can put back into the business to to power it to drive it forward and then we, we yeah. look at all the all the financial measures you, you'd look at that i mean how how efficient the company's running the you know the re- return on equity and return on capital and you know even you know, what assets we'd have really as an industry but return on assets as well we're not we, we're not a coal mine or a steel plant you know we've not got huge assets that produce um money we've we've we're we're a service industry and we've we've you know, we've run off people so we're looking at returns like return on capital employed and the old ebitda if you're about to sell your firm you, you know you sort of get you you'll get a multiple of that again i think wrongly but um, that's a, a quick litmus quick you know quick finger in the air way to to value a firm, I'll give you three and a half times EBITDA. Seems to be a popular conversation for me. Um, but yeah, but then again, you can massage that number and measure it. Depends what you want to do, which is linked to your strategy. Obviously, if your strategy is just to make some money, take a dividend, run it for 20 years and then whatever, you know, that's that's a different strategy. If you're about to float on the NASDAQ or you want to sell it to a big VC or want to attract some venture capital into your business. So these are slightly different things. So I'd say even on today's business, have a think about the strategy, think about what you're trying to do. And then that can then dictate the measures and what type of things you should be measuring. Because so, uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, what you're saying is that your financial objectives should yeah. guide your performance objectives as to, for example, if you want to sell this much, then which is the dollar value, then you have to produce this much of work. Um, is that what you're trying to say here? I, I would, yeah. And I, I always tell this to kids that, that could start start their career with this. I say, look, um, I, I teach this a bit on the MBAs as well. I say, look, uh, profit's like a sausage. It's really tasty until you find out what goes into making it. And it's it's that because we have to make a profit. A business has to make a profit. So if you want to grow right. or even exist, you have to. The profit must drop out at the end of it. Um, you can't not make a profit. And then that, you know, the amount of capital you have will dictate your strategy, whether you want to be a, a global player or just, just stay in your county, you know, and because if you're going to grow, that takes capital and that ties up capital from somewhere else. So 
and if you're just starting Absolutely. out it's quite hard you know you can either sell your house and chuck it all in the pot or you know you, it's, it's a lot easier to to keep the money that customers give you i think you don't have to give it back if you take it from the bank or venture capitalists you ultimately have to give it back so um yeah look at look at that that that'll that'll um that'll dictate your strategy what what tom peters did say though he said that anything that uh, can get measured can get improved but again it was funny i was talking to him the other way and i said i disagree with that because that insinuates to me that everything can be improved because we can measure everything so i don't think everything can be improved right right but so it's uh we've we've got to be careful thinking well if we just measure it it will automatically be improved we have to make sure that the management and the culture and the, how we run our businesses. I mean, let's say we want to, I don't know, increase gross profits to 52% next year. Right. Well, that's, if that's the guiding light, if that's the thing that we're doing, then that's everything has to be sort of focused on that. What I will say right. is that uh, wherever, oh, sorry, sorry, mate. I was, I was just going to go say, ahead. Wherever, no, 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 I was just saying, wherever you focus your senior team, that's where the company will perform. So right. if you, if you focus your team on, I don't know, improving profits or penetrating a new market or developing a new service. Obviously, resources are finite. So wherever we focus those people, that's where that's where the business will perform. So that's why it's important to get that right from a from a strategic point of view. Most of us uh, in the translation industry, we've created our companies and uh, majority of us, we have to admit, are not professional managers or uh, had formal education in management, management or administration. Is there um, a template or some sort of, um, you know, um, an agreed upon convention for mapping out activities in a language company and creating uh, KPIs or key performance indicators from those? That's a good question. I think I'm, I'm going to back that back to you and say most of the, the most intelligent people I've ever met work in this industry. They're incredible. And they... It just as some people wouldn't consider that they're a good salesperson and they're absolutely amazing, I think some people not considering they're good managers. Whereas, you know, I know people that run multi-million dollar businesses and they they've just they just do it naturally. Somebody like me has to read about it and look and study it <laughs> just to try and emulate this natural <laughs> ability. You know, it's uh, so all all of my heroes are just like people that just they just wake up in the morning and do it. Um, so a template, gosh, I wish I could give you one, you know, I wish I could just say go to richard-brooks.com and download one. But I mean, apart from the obvious, you know, what what do we need to measure? The, the, the trouble is with metrics, we can measure. So I think one, we can make this assumption that whatever we measure will get improved. And then we start to measure absolutely everything. And the trouble there is it just becomes a massive spreadsheet that we just creating metrics for the sake of metrics somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago about uh improving a business they said they have one metric they have one sort of they call it the northern star so they right. say we just when we're talking in the senior management team or when we're together or when you know just me i'm doing something this is literally if i have something come across my desk i think will this improve this metric and that one overriding metric would be I know, improve gross profit to 55% next year. So something, something all in, some big sort of thing. You see them called BHAGs as well. I saw this presented at the, the ALC three, three years ago in DC. Right, Randy Morgan, one of my heroes, presented um, BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, he called it. And you can read about this, um, Google that, there'll be a thousand, thousand articles will pop up. But that's about having 
instead of having vision statements and mission statements and lots of KPIs, which yeah, you, you kind of need, but if you have one thing that you want to do and you can define that and everybody in the business can say it to each other and we all know what the thing that it is that we're trying to do is, then that thing is much more likely to be achieved than if we have a hundred metrics on profitability and you know we're trying to move this and move that and change this and other that can be that can be quite dangerous. So do I have a template? No. Does anybody else have a template? I think they'd be pulling your leg if they said they would. They'd be trying to sell you some consultancy. So I think you need to work out what you're trying to do. I think you need to make it as straightforward as possible. And you need to be able to explain it to your grandma, right? You need to explain it to you get someone new in the business. Hello, Mr. Smith, this is what we're doing here. And he he or she can say, yes, I understand that. I I get what you're trying to do. It's fairly straightforward. Uh, Your accountant will prepare the financial metrics. Yes, it's really important. You need management accounts every month. That's vital. You must have that. If not, you're going to get into all sorts of trouble. You need to know how to read them. Go on a financial course. It's loads. Cost for $300. Go to your local business school. There are hundreds of these things you can can learn. Probably do it free on YouTube now anyway. But in order to drive the business forward, I think the clarity and just having one really big, hairy, audacious goal is uh, is wonderful. So you mentioned that KPIs are important and so are other ways of, uh, you know, performing and, and keeping track of performance. How do we establish these performance goals and, and how do we get the buy-in from stakeholders and organizations? Because people have to agree to what you want them to do. Yeah, they do. They do. So... Common common problem for entrepreneurs, you know, they'd, they'd win a project and they'd say to one of their senior team, right, this week I want you to go to Barcelona and you're going to make me an absolute fortune. <laughs> That's not going to motivate, it's going to motivate you, isn't it? But it's not going to motivate your team. Right. So it's about breaking that breaking that down and making it relevant for them. So how do, how do we make KPIs that are relevant for senior managers? Well, uh, you know, so we may have an overriding goal that would then break down to. So let's say we're going to improve. Growth. Let's pick on that. We're going to improve growth profit to 55% next year. Great. What does that mean to marketing? What does that mean to sales? What does that mean to operations? What does it mean to finance, etc.? So we have these core functions in the business. And it's, it's, it's up to us to break that down to make that relevant for them. So they then understand exactly what it is they're, they're hoping to achieve. You tie all that to, I call that the golden thread. If you tie all that together, you imagine in your in your mind's eye, paint your paint your org chart out, and what you think. Obviously, you're you're at the top, or you're on the C-suite at the top, and then that breaks down to what the what the different uh, different lines are going to do. We can tie this golden thread together, right up to the the big hairy audacious goal at the top. We can see if we need to increase gross profit to 55% next year, then obviously there's financial metrics from that, there's sales metrics and so on. We can tie all these things together and make them relevant. I think it's the C-suite's job to make them coherent and relevant and all tied together. If not, people end up doing their own thing and you can pull in different directions. So let's let's talk about monitoring uh, these these activities or goals uh, for performance improvement. Yep. How do you suggest this should be done? Where do you start with monitoring or tracking? Is there an, an industry approved process for this? So it's different different things for different departments. Obviously, if you're monitoring financials, that's you know that's going to be in Excel, isn't it? That's going to be relatively straightforward. Your accountant will prepare them, or you'll do them yourself. Or your accounting software will will spit out your your management accounts each month or quarter or whatever. 
they should then get audited once a year. So then the, the auditor will give you uh, audited accounts every year. In terms of sales, you can measure that through. So if you were going to increase sales, then you'd have to increase sales activity. Again, it's dangerous just assuming that more activity equals more sales, but you can measure the activity of salespeople through any decent CRM. I'm not going to name them because there's loads and you go on your own journey depending on what you want to do. But uh, any any decent CRM nowadays will be able to measure Salesforce activity mm-hmm. and, and, and spit that out. In terms of marketing, so if we're talking about marketing, about lead generation or uh, creating interest in the business and understanding the customer, well, again, there's there's marketing metrics like um, literally how much interest are we generating? Where is it coming from? I know, I know it'll be multi-channel, but where's it where's it coming from? What's that route into the into the uh, into the company? What's the customer journey looks like in order to find you and to start start using your service or have a conversation with your sales team? So we can do that. In terms of operations, well, that, that all needs tying tying together in terms of strategy. So you might be wanting to be strong in a particular region or particular language pair or particular vertical. So you need also need to increase resource in that area. So you can manage, you can measure capacity. And then uh, if you have the capacity to, I don't know, translate a million words a month, then, you know, what's the capacity utilization of that? That's one popular metric in um, in a operations environment. So if you had a, use a different example from a different industry, if you had a hotel, You'd be talking all the time about room utilization. So how many rooms have been utilized each week and when? And you'd be measuring that. So if you can see any patterns dropping out of that, and then can you can you improve that as it, as it works through and so on? But the, the the key thing is is tying all these things together. So it's relevant. You've got that golden thread that flows right through the business. So the vendor manager understands what he or she is doing, and the sales director knows, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it all comes back to this. I like it. This, this chap called it the Northern Star for me, the guiding light, the the BHAG, the one thing that we're we're all we're all following. We're all rowing in the same direction. Right. So uh, if if we uh, again take a you know a, a look at a higher level, or if we zoom out and still stay within the context of uh, KPIs and performance, there are several industry standards such as Six Sigma that organizations apply to their performance measurement and improvement. Uh, or for the improvement is there one that is suitable for our industry that you would suggest right so again big fan of six sigma but we have to be careful that these i think we need to think about what we're doing before we find the tool if i've said that the right Right. way so yes six sigma is amazing it helps you to so six sigma is about um the amount of defects that happen per million um opportunities for defects i might get this slightly wrong but it's something like in your production process, so if you're making pen lids or car engines or you know whatever that thing is, you want to make as few errors in the process as possible. So you measure the output of the process and you make sure it's, it's within tolerances. So if you're making nuts and bolts, there'll be a specification from your customer about the thread size and the length of the bolt and probably the weight and the you know, the, whatever the diameter, et cetera, et cetera. You'll measure all that. You'll do some statistical process control. So you perhaps measure every hundredth nut or bolt, plot that on a chart and see where you perform. Now, six sigma, so a sigma, one sigma is one standard deviation. As you know, in any sort of process or the average of averages, you get this curve, this bell curve that happens. Right in the middle is the middle point. Then we've got three sigmas one side, three sigmas the other. And that, that the six sigmas there captures 
it's something crazy like 99.97%. So it's three, or I can't remember the exact number, I think it's three opportunities per million things produced to make an error. So your production process would be so good that it would only make an error three or four or five times per million. And then you would say you was Six Sigma compliant. Can you apply it to translation? Well, maybe you could. Maybe you could translate a million words and then measure each word and see how many errors you made. Mm, but it's kind of subjective, isn't it? So, right. you know, you, you get this feedback all the time. Yeah, I'm having a meeting tomorrow. Your translation's rubbish. Okay, thanks for that. Great feedback. Can we <laughs> try and really get under this? What do you mean by rubbish? Let's let's define that word because it's someone can speak German or French or whatever in their office and they think it's not good or not right for right for markets. Then you have a conversation, so on. So, can Six Sigma be applied to the translation industry? We could debate this for hours. I think I think probably not in its purest form, but we can take the philosophy of improving process and producing so as entrepreneurs it's a read read rich dad poor dad right it's our job to create a process that makes a business that delivers a product so it's our job to create that process in our businesses that delivers translation i'm going to say quality but i feel a bit sick for saying it but it's taste the right quality of translation or translations that's suitable given the specification that we have so Six Sigma is a bit of a fad. Does it work for services? Mm, again, somebody will probably try and tell you that it does. I don't think it does. I think it obviously works best if you're working at Toyota and you're you're trying to make whatever Toyota are using, you know, with absolutely <laughs> no defects, because uh, that's where the waste is and it gets better over time. So, um, yeah. There's also things like lean as well. You'll see lean and agile and all these sort of buzzwords. Well, lean's about creating something that's literally lean so there's no waste in the process so we look at how how do things flow through as as smooth as possible there's a quote i'm going to get his name totally wrong there's a there's a quote from a japanese management guru i believed he worked at toyota in the 80s i might be wrong um karu ishikawa i've got it wrong i apologize to japanese speakers but he says quite famously as much as 95 percent of quality related problems in the factory can be solved with seven fundamental tools so they would look at constantly continuously improving a process in order so it made less and less defects six sigma or continuously improving a process so it was faster and less wasted so on so it ran at speed which is lean so uh, they'll be looking at simple uh, simple measurement tools so his seven tools are, i'll read them out so forgive me uh, check sheets, histogram, Pareto diagram or Pareto analysis, cause and effect diagram, scatter diagram, control chart and line chart. So mm-hmm. what can we learn as entrepreneurs? Well, there are tools and things in the you know advanced manufacturing world. Read about, read the Toyota Way, which is a book, which is all about how Toyota made incredible motor cars um, in, the, in the 90s and took on America, you know, sold, sold the Americans their, their own cars sort of thing, made the best cars in the world. And they did that on a limited budget with a limited natural resources and you know, limited people and so on. So they did that by improving process and developing these tools to help them. So we can take the philosophies of those tools, Lean, Agile, Six Sigma, et cetera, and use them in our business. Is there a, you know, one we can download in a tick sheet? No, I don't think there is. We, we <laughs> not that simple. Learn. Yeah, it's not that simple. And it's not like we, what we use it. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a scholar of key account management. I've been studying key account management forever. 
and it's about studying how businesses sell to other businesses right and it's from the big world so it's about how rolls-royce sell jet engines to british airways for instance in that process not not very many at the moment my ad but it's, it's about that it's about <laughs> that process and it from that i can take the key for obviously we're not rolls-royce we're a tiny tiny company in in comparison but we can take the philosophies about understanding the customer and thinking about well if i'm producing something it's going to be used in a in a supply chain that's ultimately going to serve the consumer so it's thinking about these philosophies which are slightly different from just working within specification so it's the same with these quality tools we can use the philosophies and the thought process behind it to help us develop better better absolutely commas but better businesses and businesses which which are more efficient this podcast is made possible with sponsorship from hybrid links a human in the loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare education legal and government sectors visit hybridlinks.com to learn more Richard, you you spoke about something very interesting. You said that you know in other industries these things will apply, but it might not be directly relevant or applicable in our industry, and we have to yeah. modify that. With that in mind, for an organization or a language translation company that's interested in implementing a performance monitoring and improvement system, would you recommend that they DIY it or do it themselves, or should they bring professional help in the form of consultants to execute such a program? First of all, to define what they want and then you know create tactical action items from that that's a good question so uh, there's a lot in that question um so i think it depends on the size of your company it depends where you are in the customer growth journey i think there's various stages as a customer develops see grainer's curve larry grainer 19 oh, i'm gonna get the year wrong 1979 i think but he basically said that companies grow really steadily, then they hit a period of turbulence where things change, then they might get through that period, they might not. If it does, there's a period of steady growth, and then it goes crazy again. So this tells us that business growth isn't linear, and it's not, it, it might seem it, you might study Facebook and Google and Uber and so on, you think, well, it's easy, they've just developed a platform and off they go, right, well, at each stage of their growth, there's been huge turbulence. I think we're seeing this in the tech sector at the moment. But there's huge turbulence in their businesses and in their business development. They might have to change the management or, you know, because you think it's a very different management style from starting a business to it is managing a business to it is employing the senior management team and motivating them to deliver your business. And then the team has got to develop teams. And as this gets more and more complicated, perhaps there's different skill sets and therefore different people are more suited at the top at different stages. So in terms of that i think it's different where you sit i think as entrepreneurs we would fly by the seat of our pants which is what the what the fun is at the start right um as a business develops i think it's well worth getting some external help and talking to people who have either done it before a good place to go is to any conference and have a beer with a few people and see see what their stories are or get involved with social media in our industry it's a very very friendly active industry people will share their stories Right. Lots of lots of people out there. Again, you know, so, so we're on our, we're on the sort of the third generation of the family firms now. So there's lots of people there that are that have done it, been there, bought the t-shirt. You know, they'd happily tell you exactly what it is they measure. The the danger is, I'd, I'd approach this with caution because the danger is if you buy someone else's strategy, you might buy someone else's strategy which may not be right 
for your particular business at this particular time. So there's things I used to do 10 years ago, 20 years ago that are no longer relevant in today's world. So we have to be careful that whatever measures and metrics and management, et cetera, we put in is relevant. So I'm looking at the third horizon, preparing for tomorrow's business. So we're trying to prepare that and put that in. It's obviously very easy to say, well, in mind, it's like that Monty Python sketch, right? <laughs> a puddle. We, used to, we used to be glad of a puddle you know, and all that. And me and the kids do that. It's hilarious. But um, we've got to be careful at looking back with rosy spectacles, you know, with rosy lenses on and thinking, oh, it was easier in my day. We used to do this, that and the other. Or it was difficult or whatever. Right? So do we bring in consultants? Yeah, we can do. Uh, it's it's the, 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 key, the key piece of advice I would give anybody is about having one big goal at the top that we can all see exactly what it is we're doing. You know, we're going to put a man on the moon in nine years or whatever, you know, whatever JFK said. So great. We all know what we're doing from that. There's going to be a golden thread that flows through the business to, to help us help us pull that in. If you're looking to sell your business in the next few years, then obviously that's going to taint your financial metrics. You might be selling on a multiple or you might be selling on a, you know, a contract win or something like that. So you have to get ready for that or prepare that. But obviously the best time to prepare your business for sale is not when you want to sell it. Paradoxically, you know, when things are doing well, you can start to start to have that conversation with people. There's lots of people in, in our industry and there's lots, lots in the world that can help you help you get ready for that. So it's, I've not really answered it, but it's dependent. The answer is because I think the answer is it's dependent on where you are on that journey. So there's a, there's like right. um, there's a roadmap from Slater which uh, I saw saw a couple of months ago. It lays out a bit like Grainer's curve, but for our industry, and it lays out the different challenges that will happen on average in an LSP as it develops. So a quick, quick advert for those guys, but that can give you a rough idea of thinking. Right, well, I'm at ten million dollars. Have I thought about going international? I'm at twenty million dollars. Have I thought about? bringing in external finance, et cetera, what these, ever these milestones were. And that can help you with your operational thinking. So going back to the core of uh, defining tracking and measuring performance improvement, let's say we're talking about production activities in an LSP. Is there a specific tool such as Microsoft Excel at the basic level that you would recommend using? Um, or what is the standard format for tracking performance and production? Well, I think any um, any decent workflow that's in our industry will have this in that that will come out of the box. So the, the, those those guys will sell sell this to you on that function. That that'll be one of the key functions that they'll sell you. You'll be able to track it. You'll be able to see exactly who's doing what and when, and efficiency and number of tasks per project manager per month, or you know thing, things like that. Can you use Excel? Yeah, I think there's nothing. You know, there's nothing wrong with a good a good post-it note on a on a wall chart. You know, if you can if you can plan it out, I think it starts there. You know, um, certainly right. when your business starts, it's it's Excel gets used for all sorts of things, doesn't it? I mean, even even translation memory and glossary lists and, and things like that. Even I've even seen operation guides written in in, in Excel. It's bizarre, but we've we, uh, I remember doing doing the DTP once on one, but. Um, it's crazy. Excel gets used for everything. Yes, I think use whatever works and get it working and then then go shopping because the, the danger is the other way around. You go shopping first, you buy someone else's process, which you'll buy off a sales guy. So, of course, everything's perfect. And then you get into your business and it's like, mm, I didn't really understand what that meant and what I was doing. So 
if you want to track, I don't know, if you want to track your project managers about number of activities per hour or some, you know, some crazy metric like that, then yeah, you can start to do that. You can see what's going on with them. Decent, half decent CRM will do it for you as well. But any any workflow solution in our in our space, all the ones that I've seen, I'm sure there's there's nuances and you know, X is better than Y if you're going to talk to them. But um, they, they all do essentially the same thing. Please don't shoot me. Um, <laughs> but you know, in terms of tracking and showing activity and uh, load and capacity and all these sorts of things, but it's got to be right for you and for your business. Because even in our even in our business, I mean, our, we're a tiny company in in England, and so we can have two different accounts. One account would have literally thousands of requests per month. So if you're looking at it on a request per, you know, a sort of a task per day. Project manager Mr. Smith is incredibly busy, but these these you know a lot of it's automated and it flows through. Whereas I've other accounts which are huge projects, but it might be once a quarter, or a or once a year, like a call off agreement. We just sort of work in and out of a particular project. So how do I measure those two people? How do I know which one's more efficient? I can't really. I can't measure them on the same metric. I need to define right for this account. This is what it's going to cost. This is my cost structure. This is how I approach it. Therefore, I need to make sure that my um, my process is within those tolerances, with, within those assumptions that I've made. Right. Yeah. And then uh, apart from if we think about if somebody's, you know, somebody's shirking or working, <laughs> one of my friends said, well, I think it's a funny, funny phrase that is. So somebody working or they swing in the leads, you know, well, that's down to management and line management. And you're going to you're going to get that. You're going to you're going to pick up if somebody's busy or not. I think mo- most people I've met in this industry, you know, project managers are incredibly busy stressed out amazing people so they're you know they're, they're busy people anyway right right so uh, richard in a in a translation company or language company we uh, you mentioned earlier that we have core functions like project management which uh, forms you know the fundamental part of what we do we have vendor management and uh, for obvious reasons and then then sales without which we will not be existing and we always have been monitoring activities in these functions in one way or the other to increase sales or to to produce more words uh, translated or to find more people to do the work. Uh, that's in a traditional sense. And does that count uh, in terms of performance improvement um, that it was not formal, but now we we can formalize it and just create a system off of that? Yeah, yeah, we can. We we can. But I think we so, so certainly in sales, we have to be careful that activity won't necessarily link to sales it won't link to financial right. output um we need to be careful of that and i think we need to measure if we measure it so if we have a so if, if i was your sales guy you should measure you should measure my pipeline and you should measure the amount of opportunities i'll get given you should measure the movement in that pipeline so and i mean from its you know absolute basic thing we'd have here's people that are interested in our service here's people that have got a project here's people that we've given a proposal to here's some actual work is so here's a purchase order we've got paper and so on i know that's i know it's more complicated than that again don't at me on that but there's there's a process to that in order for me as your sales director to deliver your sales each month for, to, for, for me to hit my target as well as that there's retention and there's uh, advocacy and there's there's all this other stuff that we that we have to think about um we have to be careful to assume that um because lots of people will assume that products lead to profits so again another another little chip on my shoulder about this that it's not necessarily products that lead to product profits it's the customers that that get there so 
the customers will deliver the profits in our organization. So we need to measure how happy they are, what's the likelihood of them coming back. It's obviously much easier to sell to somebody who's bought from you before. So from a sales metric point of view, we need to be looking at, are, are they likely to recommend us? Will they advocate our service? Where are they on the ladder of loyalty? You know, they, these types of questions, which are almost more sort of marketing-y, if that's the right word, they're more marketing type questions that we'd ask about the customer to try and gauge their happiness and how well our uh, our operations deliver deliver their their uh, service for them so yeah it's 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 tricky you know it's tricky just to get one i wish i could pull a book off the shelf and say you go read this and all your all your questions will be answered but <laughs> um it's uh yeah it's not not necessarily that that easy to do right and and uh, Richard, as we see, our industry is moving towards agility and rapid change. I mean, yep. we see a lot of small tasks coming towards us, and, and it's not always consistent. How would such a system adapt in a rapidly evolving language services market? Yeah, man. Yeah, crikey. Right. Um, so again, I think we're taking we're taking a philosophy like agile from a different industry and bringing it back to to our industry, and quite right too came from the the software world right right we're breaking that back and we're thinking about well what's the what's the key philosophies of that of that management idea how can we apply that to our business and it's about being dynamic and it's about being able to change quickly and so on if it's an agile organization that that to me kind of goes against the old traditional well, they call it the waterfall method don't they but the old traditional uh, method of management where we we we'd, uh, we develop um a project plan then we tick off against that and it wouldn't really change and it would be you know fairly static and we know who's doing what and when but if it's agile then it's you know it's it's, it's dynamic and it happens it happens there and then it comes out of the scrums on a monday morning and um, it, it can change it can be all over the place kind of thing um which is much more i think much more exciting but in terms of in terms of kpis falling out of that i mean i think that's more that agile is more focused on the customer and which which we do whereas like waterfalls more focused on um on the process not on the um on the methodology which isn't quite the right thing to do anymore i don't think depends on your customers doesn't it and it depends depends who's doing it depends on what you're trying to produce if obviously if you're working in the software world then your customer will work on agile so therefore your localization your project managers will be because they're they're ultimately their customer is so you'll have to learn about it and you'll have to be able to deliver. Uh, and uh, how long, uh, Richard, do you think an average LSP, well, let's say, uh, assuming there are three project managers and one yeah. vendor manage, manager, how long can they expect to see the results of uh, implementing a performance management initiative? Um, Obvi- obviously, it's yeah, not overnight, right? Yeah, it's not overnight. But I mean, I, I don't know how you'd run a business without one. I think if you were, if it was just, if it was just you as an entrepreneur, then there's, there's some entrepreneurs I know that just literally have got no idea how much money they're making. It's just it's just a surprise each month. It's like oh made a profit or oh, didn't make a profit. That, that that I lose sleep over that for them. That 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 keeps keeps me up at night. Let, let alone them. I don't know how they run their how they run their business. I think as soon as you get as soon as you start to employ people, because invariably you'll you won't employ entrepreneurs. You'll employ you know project managers or sales guy. You, you'll employ people that. Are, more structured i think than, a, than an entrepreneur now they they have the structure so they'll need to know what boundaries and tolerances they work within which is about you know that's their kpis you'll need to do things like 
doing their appraisal every year and like crazy HR stuff that you, you never had to do when it was just you. So in order to do that, you need to know what to measure. You need to know how to measure them. So I think it has to go in really quickly. So, you know, does, does it get to three people? Depends how fast you're growing, doesn't it? Um, I guess it could do if you were if you were an entrepreneur and you'd want a want a million dollar account somewhere, then had to take on a, a team of people to help you to deliver. I think as well though, it's very easy now to outsource these core functions of your business. So now we've had the old the old COVID thing, we can put you know parts of our business in different regions, different time zones. And we can run it from that. So that takes away to some extent, you know, this this outsource company will give you the give you the KPIs. You won't have the headache of employing people and um, you know doing HR stuff and appraisals and so on. So you you can do that where we can all link together relatively easy now, you know, hybrid type or even remote type organization, like a virtual organization. But, so um, yeah, go on. Uh, I was going to say is that, um, you know, it, it, what you're trying to say is that it comes down to your structure, too, as to what you're trying I, to accomplish, right? Yeah, I, I think it does. I think it does. I think it's it's quite hard to say, you know, when you get five people, it's this, when you get 50, it's this, when you get, because, it, yes, there's some sort of guidance there. And I think you need to have, do you need, you need to have KPIs in the business? Yes. In order to motivate people, you need to have some sort of goal some sort of target where you're heading towards or you won't get employee engagement and it'll just it'll just be crazy you'll just go round and round in circles and you'll be like thinking why don't these people understand what i'm trying to do well you have to be a good communicator so in order to be able to communicate an easy thing to do is to develop a BHAG or a northern star or a guiding light or you know a target whatever you're going to call it but it's one decent objective that you want to achieve put a man on the moon in 10 years you know that, that sort of thing and then break it down from that. And then because w- without that, I don't know how you'd run or motivate people. But then the paradox of that is true. If you have too many, then it could just be a tick sheet. It can just be a, a management by numbers, right? You know, just just um, just numbers on a spreadsheet. And that's that's not how you manage people, how you motivate people. So right. you need to do a bit of it, but not too much, which is the, a complete non-answer to your question, I know. no problem Uh, richard what does success at the end of the day looks like for someone who has implemented a formal performance improvement system i think ultimately it means you can sell the business if i'm going to be frank with you because you will sell a process so if insert large lsp name here come along and knock on the door you know they might want certain capabilities that you you possess but if you have a process and you can retire. The biggest danger is if you're meddling in the operations all the time as an entrepreneur because you get bored, let's, let's be honest, that means you, the value of your enterprise when we take you out of it isn't worth very much. It's worth probably the asset list. And that's, you know, with a little bit of brand, a little bit of goodwill, that's about it. But if it's a process that runs at speed on its own while you're doing other things, then that can be that, that can be your exit strategy. Um, so I think what does good look like? I think if you can have, you know, if you can travel around France with the three months in the summer and the business runs itself, I think you can tick that box. OK. And, and uh, you mentioned uh, about the leadership earlier that you need to define that that uh, central objective that everyone needs to look at and, and work towards. But what is the role of um, leadership in making sure this performance improvement system becomes adopted and wholly implemented across the organization? 
So I think people are really, I mean, again, I've been doing management 30 years, I think now, but people are amazing. They, they'll, they'll, if you can explain it to them, they'll do it. They'll, they'll pull in the same direction. I think a, a strong strategy and one that links together and, a, a, you know, we, we all know what we're going to do. We all know what the vision of the business is. We know what we're trying to achieve and we know what, how that affects our staff and team and stakeholders, et cetera. I think that's the difference between having an unengaged workforce or having, you know, one in five people who are actually engaged to having more than half engaged. You know, we, we need to get the majority of our guys or girls engaged in the business and, and motivated. I mean, in order to do that, we need to define a strategy and then from that, break that down the next level and define that golden thread to make sure it links together. And that helps them to see the bigger picture. They're thinking about what they're doing, what they're, you know, what each day, what each day involves and so on. And I think more importantly, it's like Simon, is it Simon Sinek talks about the why? Right. You know, the three, the three circles things. I can't do it how he does it. But it's the why, isn't it? It's the why we bother him. Why, why get out of bed on a Monday morning when it's 35 degrees and I go to the beach? Well, there's a why there, isn't there? And it's a, that's about, to me, I think that's about employee engagement, which is about defining where we want to go, making it fun. <laughs> oh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of which... Yeah. I mean, there are some really good managers or executives in our industry. They've they've accomplished a lot. But in your opinion, do you think that there are success stories in the translation localization industry where performance improvement, uh, one officially or or formally implemented, had uh, a significant impact, and and people follow that story? In our industry, crikey! Oh man, you're not going to put me on the spot. How can I name somebody? <laughs> um, I, I think I'd stand by the comment I made earlier where the my heroes in this industry are the people who have just done it especially the people that have done this and raised a family at the same time and kept the sanity you know right. there's and there's hundreds of people like that wonderful completely multilingual you know trilingual people incredible brains the size of planets and they've done it um there aren't any some some of the bigger guys i think some of them have embarrassed themselves as their careers moved on i'm not going to name them but you know if you if you Google it, you'll, you'll, you'll guess what I'm talking about. That's the danger, I think. I think as, you know, these businesses grow, it can bring a lot of power and a lot of temptation. I think it's probably, probably the right word, and that can, be, you know, that can be a bit scary for some people, but not everybody can handle it. I think as entrepreneurs, we need to know when we need to leave the party. You know, I think it's better to leave five minutes too early than five minutes too late. Right. I think it's the people. So the people I really respect, my my friends, right? I think they're they're, they're the people that have got this got this sussed. For for me, I think it's about we we said at the start about you know work life balance and thinking, yeah, it's really important, but it's not the most important thing in the world. <laughs> you know, if we can develop a process that delivers, happy days. And I think as well, part <laughs> of this for an entrepreneur is difficult because it's about letting go of the ego. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a big problem. It's Ego a massive is an problem issue. that we yeah. don't talk yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's about developing a process, letting it run, managing it. If somebody can come along and manage it better than you, then bloody retire. You know, you're done. <laughs> that's it. Let someone else get on with it. And it, that is a difficult conversation for an entrepreneur because it can be about ego. Absolutely. Especially if you took you 30 years to build it and it's your baby. 
Richard, we've not spoken about uh, the role of customers in, uh, in this whole conversation. So what do, uh, since we do everything for the customer or the client, what is the role in improving uh, performance in a language services company? So the, the customer should be at the center of it, right? The, the customer is the thing. Profits right. don't come from products. Profits come from customers. Uh, Henry Ford said, though, he said, if I asked the customer what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses. Kind of a misquote, but he sort of meant trouble is. Uh, so that means he needs to understand what the customer is trying to achieve. They don't want to buy a drill. They want a quarter inch hole, was that quote as well. So you need to think about well, what's the customer trying to do? Invariably right. sell, a, sell a product in a new region. Okay, so great. So then there's a consumer, there's a customer's customer, there's supply chain. There's all these slightly different things that we need to consider, which we can, we can learn about that. We can consider that in our operations and deliver a service that fits. That's um, that's straightforward. So customer is the most, I mean, I'm from, from the world of key account management, okay, and sales. So customer is the most important thing in the, um, in this conversation. I think more, I think more importantly, I would suggest the customer's customer because not so much about, the customer it's about the consumer so it's about ultimately this language this you know piece of creativity is going to be consumed by somebody that's then going to generate all the value for that supply chain and that value when somebody buys the car or the the iphone or the book or the magazine or whatever it is we've localized well all that value at that point flows back through the supply chain it pays everybody's wages if we forget about that then we forget about a lot of things and we i think we become robotic almost in the process. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Richard, uh, as we reach the end of this conversation, what is uh, your one piece of advice for LSP executives that, that want to create a culture of performance improvement? I would say, well, Christ, one piece of advice. I would say create a, a, a BHAG that is understandable to your grandma. So if you can explain it to your grandma or your six-year-old and they can understand Yes, Daddy, I kind of get what you're talking about. So, okay, nice and straightforward. You have to use big fancy language, and please don't use management nonsense in it. You know, integrity, shareholder value, all that. What's the point of saying all that? Everybody says it. It's all the same. It doesn't mean anything. Think about what you want to do with your business. Create a BHAG, big, big goal that we want to achieve, and then you can motivate your team based on the golden threads from that guiding light at the top of your business. What a fascinating and interesting conversation. I learned quite a lot, literally, and I'm, I'm sure people listening also found a few items that they can take away with them and apply to their businesses, improve how they do things, and on a larger scale, professionalize our industry. So I hope we can meet again, Richard, to cover another interesting topic for our industry. You are a treasure in terms yes, of management I'm, knowledge. I'm, I'm going to um, see you in person soon. <laughs> I hope so, too. I've got everything crossed, mate. I've got everything crossed. Absolutely. With that, I want to thank you for your time today. No problem. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I will see you soon. Thank you very much. Performance improvement is a fancy way of saying doing things better. We do this in our lives and even in our businesses on a daily basis. We try to make things better and see better results. If we were to put this effort in a formal framework, we would call it performance improvement. How we do that is up to each of us individually as business leaders. But once we define what we want to improve, how we want to do that, 
and what constitutes incremental success, we will then be able to monitor and track these objectives. As Richard pointed out, it is extremely important to have an overarching objective that guides the efforts in every part of your organization. Maybe it is time for you to think about what your objective is in your company and how to improve it. Create a plan around that and measure it over time. That wraps up my conversation with Richard Brooks today on the subject of performance improvement for language services companies. Feel free to send your thoughts and comments to improve this podcast as the goal is to deliver relevant industry-related executive education and information. Without your feedback, it would be hard to improve the performance of this podcast. No pun intended. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice and give us a five-star rating or thumbs up wherever you're listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 